Through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Huard, Huard. And Brooke Huard. Now here are your hosts, Brock Huard and Mike Saul. What'd you think, Brock? We got our chance to see and hear from Mike McDonald yesterday, and it was... For me, anyway, uh, you know, very reassuring. I, I came away, as I talked about for the last hour, mm-hmm. feeling pretty darn good about who he is and feeling very much so all of the differences, all of the newness, all of the emphasis on the future, but also uh, in just that contrast between what's been here and what is here now. Well, he's better than Adam Gase. Uh, he was better than Nick Sirianni. He was better than Jonathan Gannon. Uh, you don't win press conferences, but you make impressions. And there's a first impression there. Um, honest question for you, Salk. Do you own a hoodie like that? Have you ever have you ever gone hoodie sport coat, Justin? No. Hoodie oh, yeah, sport that was a, coat. That was sort of a big thing uh, in college. It was a blazer and a hoodie. Hmm. Back in college? Yeah. Really? Well, it's all Andrew Whitworth wears on. It is all. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. That's yeah. my first thought. I was like, oh, I used to wear that in like 2007. Yeah, presentation impressive, Salk. He was authentic the last two times you've been down there for press conferences. Were you at Schneider's press conference? No. I forget, yeah. So the last two times you were there was Pete Carroll's finale and Mike McDonald's introduction. And both of them you walked away and you did a video outside of it and said, wow, that was was pretty darn impressive. And if Pete Carroll is and and has always said the key to being a, a coach at this level, at any level, is you have to be authentic to who you are and know who you are, he may be 36, but that did not feel like cliches. That did not feel like, oh, I got to put on this kind of, better speak in this kind of way. And that felt as authentic as I think any of these young coaches that we've we felt lately. And there's comparison to McVay, right? Sean McVay. And when you listen to Sean McVay command a room and his tone and his tenor and his thoughtfulness and his answers, I don't know, man. I could see where that comp was coming from because it was pretty darn impressive yesterday. It's funny. The youth thing is so it's it is going to be mentioned constantly, right? Any outlier, just as Pete's age was. That's right. Any outlier is going to be constantly thrown out there for the world to talk about. And look, John called him the future. He was wearing a hoodie. He was wearing Jordans instead of Monarchs. Like all of that certainly pointed to his youth. If you didn't know that he was 36 years old and the youngest right. coach in you'd, the league. You'd have thought he was middle-aged. Honestly, if nobody had ever said that and he had just walked out there and done his yep. presser. Yep. Yeah, you might have you might have seen it because he, he doesn't look like he's 50 years old. He didn't have any wrinkles. But he certainly didn't sound that way. No, he didn't. I mean, he's got the deep voice and the command and the way he speaks. There was nothing young Mm-mm. about the way he presented other than his clothing. Yeah, honestly, like compared to those other guys that I just kind of mentioned off the top there, and those guys felt like young. They felt like, whew, I got to kind of be impressive here instead of just, and I talk to Titus about this all the time, talk to my girls about it all the time. Like, you know, you can't sit there and worry about what everybody thinks. If you're sitting there, okay, I've got to do this. And it was certainly a, a, a huge weakness of mine when I became a professional I didn't really feel that in high school necessarily. I mean, there was the same kind of you know teenage insecurities or whatever. Not much through college, but when I got to the NFL, it was okay. You know, am I doing this right for Coach Zorn? Okay, is this is this how Mike Holmgren wants it? Okay, they want me to look like this. They want me to drop like this. They want me to play like this. They want me? And if you're just sitting there thinking about, gosh, I got to do all this for these other people, then you aren't who you are. <laughs> you know, you're just kind of a a chameleon aiming to please all these people rather than, hey, this is who I am. 
and I'm totally comfortable in my own skin. And you know what? I think that, that that's the presentation. And then actually what came out of his mouth, what I really enjoyed, Salk, was how many times he talked about solutions. Mm-hmm. Solutions. We find solutions. It's our job as a coach to give these guys answers, to give these guys answers. And when you watch the tape of his teams and his defenses he's coordinated in particular the last three years, you know what they have, Salk? Answers. Okay, Mahomes and Kelsey are killing us, right? And, and they're moving the ball. So can we find answers? Can we make adjustments? And that, too, is going to be a bit of a turn, I think, from what we have seen over the last three, four years here, where it's, hey, man, this is what we play. Play our techniques. Mm-hmm. You know, play our fundamentals. You know, play our scheme. Play, you know, set these edges. Do Instead of like, well, that ain't working. <laughs> and that's not good enough. So how are we going to find solutions and find answers for our players? That is a big key of you know, a lot of his scheme and a lot of what he does and certainly what he believes in. Well, he mentioned twice, Brock, uh, and I know how you feel about when coaches mention or repeat phrases. Yep. Twice he talked about looking for other coaches with a growth mindset. Yep. And, you know, that's another huge buzzword around over the course of the last decade or so. But looking for people that aren't interested in being static aren't interested in just saying the same thing over and over again, interested in people who want to learn, want to grow and want to want to do more than where they're already at. That's exactly what it is you're talking about. They're trying to find solutions. Yeah. I think John Schneider said disruptor. Dude's been a disruptor. Right. And, 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 uh, and, you know, you and I had talked about and I had hypothesized that that game in Baltimore meant something. Mm hmm. And was that something John Schneider mentioned once? Uh, twice. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that meant a little something. Yeah, yeah. I just played some of that sound. Let me play you. I'll play it again here. I have it here. Hold on one sec. Uh, yeah, this we, was uh, this was John talking. Where is why it? do you say it like that? You always say it like the guy in, in Commando. This is John. This is John. <laughs> I don't Come say on, it John. like the guy yes, in Commando. Yes, you do. I you do just not. Did. You just did. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's uh, all about who's changing the marketplace. Who's going to change the marketplace? And it just hit me like, okay. When we're interviewing all these people, who's going to change the marketplace? And uh, the product is the product. He's done it. You've seen it. And uh, that's why he was assistant coach of the year. Uh, you know, I've had two really strong feelings leaving Pittsburgh several years ago. Like, we will never, ever look like that again. Um, I think it might have been our first year or second year here. I can't remember. It was not, it was not cool. And um, leaving Baltimore this year. And uh, that was not cool. But congratulations. <laughs> we, we had a sense that those things do matter. So I think part of the reason, honestly, Bill Polian traded for me way back when was because of my preseason games against Indianapolis. I, you know, I played some of my best games against them in the preseason. And then I played in a regular season game and I got to start against them. And I think through like three touchdowns, you know, the one game where I did well. And I, I think that mattered. Like, okay, we see him live and in person. Okay. I was on the sidelines. I think the, the next time Schneider mentioned that, he's like, yeah, we felt them. We felt it. It's really hard in the NFL to go five, five to one. It was 500 yards to 100 yards. <laughs> I mean, it was a thumping of the most epic proportions. It was six first downs that Gino and the team had the entire game, Salk. I mean, you just don't get beat down like that. And that was not at a point where you were two and five. You were five and two. You were leading your division right then. And they just said, uh, nope, nope, you're not you're not us. And we're going to put a whooping on you. And that did. That, that left an impression. And then I think for John, as he sits with all these different candidates and he had to wait to, on Mike McDonald, you could understand after sitting with him and you were sitting in the room there for about an hour with him, like, yeah, I'm kind of intrigued. 
I'd like a, a second interview. I'd, I'd like to find a way to get this guy in the fold. And it took two. He wanted this too. He wanted to be a part of this. Mm -hmm. He wanted everything that comes with being a Seahawk and being tied to, to John Schneider. So as far as any day one and winning a press conference, can't really do it. Doesn't land in a, in a column with any wins and losses. But, man, you could make a strong first impression, and he sure did. A question I've seen a few times on the text line this morning is whether or not there were pl current players there. I didn't see any. Doesn't mean there weren't some in the back. I, I couldn't, you know, I'm sort of sitting in front of a row of cameras and behind or and behind the cameras or yeah. the rest of the staff. Yeah. So there was no there were no former players there when I got there. One or two may have trickled in at the end, but I didn't see any. Um, who was the former who was the rookie this year for Michigan Michael? They drafted in late in the draft. Mike Morris. Morris. They did have yeah, pictures he was, of him Yeah. He was I here the know. day before. I know that. He was there when he came and he was one of the many that that hugged him and and uh yeah. yeah he's psyched. Uh, He's like, I got a shot now. I mean, yes, this is my sir. old coach. I got a chance to go do something on this that's, team next year. That, that's exactly Absolutely. right. Absolutely. Maybe yeah. he was in the room. Maybe not. I, I couldn't see. But, you know, it's not like there was a huge crowd of guys that came. Mm -hmm. But, you know, look, I, I, I started off the show at 6 o'clock saying this. I am a little skeptical, right, by nature. And yeah. I was feeling a little skeptical yesterday. Not negative. I know it gets confused with negativity a lot, but it's just skepticism, mm -hmm. right? Don't we have to see some of these other qualities before we can be all in on mm -hmm. Mike on Mike McDonald being the head coach and not just a really good coordinator? And after seeing him yesterday, I feel a lot better. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. Did I you feel, ask John I, any questions? I'm John. done with you. I am so done with you already John. this morning. <laughs> I don't need it's this gun anymore, John. <laughs> I can do it, John. We'll come right back with everything you need to know, John. It's Brock and Salk on Commando and Seattle Sports on 710. John. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, it didn't take long after being around Mike McDonald for... Maybe a half hour, 45 minutes yesterday. Pretty easy to see what John Schneider and others like about him, what drew him to them as a candidate, and why he's the new coach of the Seattle Seahawks. He was very authentic. He was impressive in his first public meeting. He was very intense. And he had what I thought was a clarity that should serve him very well in this job. He was asked about their plan. And there's, no, there's going to be no secrets secret thing of you know scheme or secret plays that are going to get us there faster it's going to take a lot of hard work by finding the right people and doing it the right way treating people the right way building everybody up throughout the building i want everybody to feel like they're a part of this mission and it's going to take all we got one day at a time and it's that simple it's one conversation at a time it's one relationship at a time i like that phrase all we got one day at a time yeah, you hear a little of that Georgia in him. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a, a full-blown Georgia because he's born in Boston and really trained in Baltimore. So you kind of mix some of that just Southern hospitality with some of that East Coast kind of work ethic. And you get a guy that in the end, as I was watching that yesterday, song, I'm like, yeah, that kind of makes sense for John. If John's looking for his next partner, right, and we've gotten to know John an awful lot for 14 years and what makes him tick and his authenticity and his humility and yet just kind of his sharp drive as well. Yeah, that kind of worked. I think you wrote this. I know you wrote it in our show note last night and, and maybe in your rumblings that you put online today. Like if you were to imagine who was the 72-year-old and who was the 36-year-old <laughs> as far as just presentation mm -hmm. and, and frenetic was your word and bouncing around the room and everything that Pete was a million miles an hour. 
versus just a man thoughtful on every single word here, really taking it in, really measured. Just sounded like a, an old soul with a lot of wisdom. And I think it came across in a very impressive way. Yesterday. I think old soul is a very good word to describe this guy. He, he he feels like he's been around a lot longer than 36 years, just yep. being in his presence for a short amount of time. Here's the second thing you need to know. All right, well, that's all well and good, but what is he going to do next? Who is he going to hire? What is the offense going to look like? What is the coaching staff going to look like? Uh, we don't know. We're starting to hear some names. One, very familiar to fans in this area, former UW offense coordinator Ryan Grubb, who just recently moved to Alabama. But that one surprised me a little bit, only because when I think of Grubb, I think of the wide-open passing attack. And that feels pretty different from what we've seen in Baltimore the last couple of years. So did that surprise you at all? Well, I'm going to go into some depth in Blue 88 with this one. And by the way, I put a little poll out last night, Salk. First of all, there was a lot of action on it. People hmm. had a voice in it. Would you want Ryan Grubb as your next offensive coordinator, Seahawks? 87% yes. 87% said, sign me up for that. I'll go into a little more detail as far as scheme goes with him, Salk. But... He's solutions-oriented, and that's what this head coach is. Find me answers. You know, put, put it on the players. And, yeah, with Michael Penix, he threw for a ton of yards, but I don't think he's a one-dimensional guy. I think, uh, as I mentioned before, when you have that O-line background, not many do. 135 Division One offensive coordinators, and only about 10 of them come from the O-line tree. And then only, I think, out of those, Sharon Moore, now the head coach at Michigan, and Ryan Grubb, the only ones that call plays. So you have that kind of mix. You have coached the offensive line before. That's been a position of real need of, of growth and developments. He checks a bunch of boxes. All right, we'll talk more about him. Also heard the name Tanner Engstrand yesterday. Sounds like a hockey player, but is actually the quarterback coach in Detroit for the Lions. As for McDonald, what did he say he was looking for? Uh, it's not near the top of the list. We're looking for the right the right person to come in here and, and build this thing. So we want someone that's open-minded, that has a growth, a growth mindset, that can connect with their players, and uh, and build build a system, you know, that's that's unique to the Seattle Seahawks. That's going to live here for a long time, and he's going to be the one spearheading it. Yeah. So he's looking for somebody to design an offense, and then if he leaves, that that offense will continue with the tree underneath him. So I, I don't get the sense that that's going to be somebody who is significantly older than him. I don't get the sense he's looking to have Frank Reich come in and you know bring something pre-established. I get the sense he's looking for more of a collaborator and a contributor than somebody who's just going to handle the offense while he handles the D. Here's the third thing you need to know. Uh, after an offseason in which we spent a lot of time, Brock, talking about whether the Mariners would match up with the Orioles, right? Given one team's need for hitting, the other team's need for pitching and vice versa. Well, you can put that to bed. The Orioles yesterday traded for Milwaukee ace Corbin Burns. They gave up a decent package centered on infielder Joey Ortiz, which is a lot considering you only get one year guaranteed of Corbin Burns who won a Cy Young Award a couple of years ago. Um, man, Baltimore looks good, by the way. Their payroll under $100 million, but they look like they might be the best team in the American League this year. Meanwhile, John Morosi on with Wyman and Bob yesterday said, you know what? The Mariners actually don't look that far away from the Rangers, and he likes what they did with the Polanco move this week. They gave up a fair amount to get him. But I think this was the move they had to make. And especially because when you consider what he means to the Mariner lineup, that he would not have meant to the Twins lineup, which is batting right in the middle. To me, the big picture, the most important point to make, 
with the Mariner offseason is they were not able to operate in the heavyweight category of free agency. So I think for a lot of these reasons, you have to bring in and and take this collective approach where you're, I think, distributing the risk and distributing the expectations among more and more players. Polanco, I believe, is going to be substantially better than what Colton Wong gave them. I think uh, Luis Urias is a better player for what they need than than who Listella was a year ago. They, they, they've improved around the margins. Luis what? I'm not going there. Luis what? I'm not going there, brother. Rolling that R? I'm going to try to. No, you're not. Spreading out some of that risk. Isn't that kind of what they've done under Jerry and, and Scott through the years? I mean, they've never been big spenders. And I would also say how many played in those deep waters of just throwing cash around this offseason? Mm-hmm. How many teams did, legitimately? Well, one for sure. Yeah, and they deferred a lot of that mm-hmm. down the road. I mean, not not many teams played in that in that pool, and that's why there's still a bunch of free agents, seven, eight, nine hitters out there, still available, a couple relief arms still out there. It's interesting thinking about those two teams yesterday, the Orioles and the Brewers, both of whom are contenders, both of whom are spending well under $100 million. Right. Pretty crazy. That's yep. everything you need to know. Uh, we do a quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Sulk Show. Right. Not always about that cash, man. You know, you can look at the college football programs over the last couple of years that threw the most cash around. How'd A&M do? Eh, fire Jimbo. How'd Miami do? Eh, not good. All right, look at these teams that have really, you know, just dabbled into the big money free agency. Sure, it's benefited some. There's no question about that. And Washington did their part and got an amazing return on investment on Rome and on Penix and those guys. And oh, by the way, we'll talk to Jed Fish in about 30 minutes. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I got a lot of questions for him and uh, looking forward to... Uh, I to liked s- your questions, by did the way. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, oh, some good ones. That's on rare. Yeah. I feel like you don't always like my questions. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. This is going to yes, be... John. Well, I think I what it is questions. is I, I think I get worried when we're going to like talk to somebody like Jed Fish that you're not going to like my questions. Like, right. not when we're going to talk to someone, baseball sure. or the NFL. Burt like, Breer, whatever. Right, you don't care. But when we bring in, like, a friend of yours from the college football world, you're An like, FOB? don't embarrass uh-huh. him. <laughs> you start scanning yes. my questions. Yes. Like, yeah, you don't, don't mess you. with the FOB, right? Uh, don't do don't that. Do that. Yeah, that's that's not appropriate. <laughs> All right, coming up next, seven observations from Mike McDonald yesterday, Brock. It's coming up. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Intense dude yesterday, Brock. It was uh, it was an interesting scene getting a chance to be around Mike McDonald for the first time. I uh, didn't get a chance to meet him, but just listening to him speak and being there in the building. He did a great job on with Bump and Stacy as well. They handled the interview great. So it was just a, I don't know, for me anyway, for somebody who is naturally a little skeptical and was a little worried that mm-hmm. a lot of the excitement around McDonald wasn't for necessarily the right reasons. Uh, I came away feeling a lot better about it yesterday. Yeah. So I, I personally, not about anybody else, just for me. I feel a little bit better than I did yesterday about the hire. And it was just, you know, some things that he said and did and and the way that day went yesterday. I I wrote about it. It's up at seattlesports.com. But about, I don't know, six, seven things stood out to me. And and the first was from John specifically saying that this was about the future. You, You couldn't you couldn't miss the context when he introduced him by literally using those words, mm-hmm. saying that this was 
excuse me, going to be all about the future of the Seattle Seahawks, right? That word. You getting emotional on me? You feel like you're getting emotional. Um, you're burping. Uh, I think it's just a little <laughs> gasping for air. You consider thing. that emotional? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know if I would say it was. Oh, okay. I don't sure. call that emotion necessarily. <laughs> uh, it was raw, though, Brock. It's still yeah, raw. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Brock burps and then kisses Molly with his eyes open, and that's him being emotional. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you keep you keep it down, Mo Dooley. Okay, you were quoted yesterday, Mo. So you keep it down. What's with the wait burping? No, she's adding that. He, well, he just didn't. You, yeah. I thought so you said, you are you getting emotional? emotional? You just burped. I thought that's what you said. Oh no, he was trying to figure out which I had done. That's right. If oh, I had gotten right. emotional, or if I was. Or little, I thought he was equating belching. the two. No, like, you no, 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 no. You're no. You know, I'm, I'm gonna spend, I got a lot of Mike McDonald stuff, but I will say this very briefly. <laughs> You guys know that I, I'm a I'm a Howard Stern fan, just especially just as a radio host, hearing him do what he does. The way you know that Howard has reached the total pinnacle of being a radio host is that he can just flat out belch on the air and not care. Everyone moves on. He's yeah, just like, just like lets him fly, doesn't care at all, and then just moves on with the show. Sure. That is the dream. Mm. I've only been doing this 15 years or so. Like, when I get to Howard's point, if I ever make it to that point, that that will be me. Just let it out. Just bro. happily belching on the air and not caring let at all. Out. Here's what John said about, about the future. So much excitement, right? Uh, that's, that's the word for right now. Uh, it's been a long process, but uh, I'm so excited for uh, the former players, the current players, our future players that will be coming in. Everybody in the building, the 12s, the Seahawks community, I mean, just everybody, you know, it's, it's uh, the coaches, like the, the, the coaches that are going to be coming in here uh, that we already started working on and everything. Uh, just so excited for everybody because uh, this is the future right here. This is where it's going. And uh, I think you're going to learn in getting to know Mike that uh, he's a special dude. This is the future right here. Mm-hmm. Kind of, kind of feels like we talked about this over the last few weeks of this process. I mean, this is your first round pick. This is like your number one pick in the first round of the mm-hmm. draft. If you had, you know, the number one pick, and this is, you know, sub in Mike McDonald for if you were the number one pick, and it was Andrew Luck or it was, you know, star QB at the number Jared Goff when he was the number one Baker Mayfield, the number one pick Trevor Lawrence. Like this is our this is our future man. Mm-hmm. This is our guy, and this is kind of the step above the QB. It starts with John. It starts a little above him with ownership and their commitment, and then it's the GM. It's the the head coach, and ultimately then the players. Felt a little with John yesterday, like as he was sat there next to to Mike, and we've heard him talk about many of his prospects over the years. The same thing. Mm-hmm. I got to get to know this dude. And these next couple months leading into this draft, it's not just the game tape, right? They really try to search and find out what makes that guy tick. Yeah. And what makes Mike McDonald tick is a lot of what makes John Schneider tick. Yeah, it's interesting that he he chose somebody that he does not have a relationship with yeah. already. And I and know Pete had none, by the way, either. Like it true. wasn't as if the old coaches were connected in any way at all either. Not yeah, that, in their tree. That was no also background. true of Pete and John when they were first yeah. together. I mean, they, they didn't have any relationship with each other either. So, you know, that's that's certainly a model that we've seen here before. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure when John said this is the future, he was referring to he's the future of our franchise. But I couldn't help but hear it kind of by itself of like, this is the future. 
the future of coaching looks like Mike McDonald as opposed to what we've been doing here for the last few years. That's how I read it. But on the flip side and of a pretty that, lucrative, by the way, six-year deal. Apparently. Those numbers don't come out, but those that may have a hint at it, it's a six-year deal and more money for a first-time head coach yeah. than ever done that? before. Yeah, well, uh, he's the future. they wanted him. He's the future <laughs> yep. and going to be here for a little while as well. But when you think of him, it's so funny. He he has he he feels like an older soul than Pete. Mm. And you know, I said he was very intense. It's true. The clothes were about youth, but the demeanor, everything else about him, Brock. If you didn't see him in person, you would not think he was the youngest coach in the NFL. Mm-hmm. The demeanor was not of age. It was or not of youth. It was of age. And even if you listened. And if you just listened and you didn't have the visual and you just listened, you would not have thought that's the youngest coach no. in the NFL. No chance. No chance. You know, maybe Mike McDaniel, maybe Sean McVay, maybe something like there, there's no chance. This guy was just as detail oriented, as, as just poised as he was, as yep. thoughtful as he was and just the delivery. Like that does not sound like a Gen Z 36 year old youngest guy in the league. I don't know that I can necessarily prove this to you guys. And it's probably hard to judge in a in a press conference, but he just struck me as being very methodical mm-hmm. as somebody. He struck me as somebody who makes a list and checks everything off of it one by one and doesn't go to the third thing in the list until the second thing is done. Mm-hmm. Like just he he and I, I don't know that that's Are you that him. guy. Are you a to do list guy? I like a decent to do list yeah. when, when things start feeling a How about little you, overwhelming. Mo? How about you, Mo? <laughs> you like a to do list? Like actually write it down. Yes, actually write it down. Yeah, really? No. Brock, how about you, you, you? How about you, Gearhead? Do you get honeydew lists, Brock? Is that why? You're, is that what you're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you do? I don't. Molly doesn't write them down, but I get at times pretty clear directives. Oh, okay. You know, especially if we have functions or things going on, like so we did yesterday. Like, you're so traditional. Yeah, sure. No, I am definitely a yellow legal pad. Write them down, and I love checking them off. Gosh, that feels good to oh, just you check know, them oh, off. You know what, Brock? Part. Here's okay. a free one. Then number yes. one, write uh-huh. a list. Check that one off. <laughs> <laughs> Make to do list. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. That's good. I don't know. He struck me as being he very does. methodical. Just sort of the way he speaks, the way he talked. Um, I mean, I could just play almost any of any of his cuts from yesterday, and that was sort of what I came up with. Here he was talking about. Um, offensive philosophy we've got some guys that can do a lot of different things and there's a lot of i think we have a diverse skill set from going against the offense i think we just have to do a great job of again it's the same mentality that we have on defense how do we get these guys doing what they do really well and put in those spots and then trying to dictate terms of the offense and how we're doing that i don't know the answer to that but like that's going to be the driving force of all the decisions that we make from here for as long as we're here i love i don't really have the answer to that yet but this is how we're going to do it yep that was great Yeah, just very, very methodical. Uh, If there was one thing I was looking to see yesterday, it was how does he command the room? Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that he commands the room. You could not not pay attention to what he was saying, but he did it so differently from Pete. I, 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 I wrote in the in the column last night and I said it before you jumped on this morning. That whereas Pete comes at you with a lot of words and more words and mm-hmm. more words, mm-hmm. he is one of those commanding presences that draws his power, I think, from the space in between the words mm-hmm. where you have to lean in, where you have to hear what he's going to say next. 
right? And it's a deep voice and it's commanding and it's a it's it's calm, assertive. Caesar Milan would be impressed, right? Like mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I that was just again, a lot of this is just sort of gut feeling of, sure. of what it what it felt like being in there. Yep. But I I just got the sense that he he he, he he derives a lot of his power and and command by not saying a ton, but by saying things in a very serious and important yeah, way. I think that's fair. You know, how many Mondays did we hear the walls in there shaking heck? Pete's last press conference on that Wednesday, they played that music, right? And the walls are kind of mm-hmm. shaking in there. It's going to going to be a different vibe. The, the basketball hoop was still up, by the way. Huh? It was. Yeah. I would be surprised if it stays. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's bolted, though, like you took a picture of it. It's going to be hard to get that thing off. Yes, it's yeah. going to take some serious manpower uh, to get that thing up and out of there. But it will be. The presentation will be different. It's going to have to be. And I didn't feel like, and, and you would be a better gauge of this because you were in there. I didn't feel, you've kept using this word intensity. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel like an uncomfortable intensity. Oh, no. It didn't feel like some of these coaches that try to be intense. Right, I'm going to try to to come across in this way, and I'm going to be so intense. No, very natural in that way. Correct. Yeah, correct. And and I yeah, and, and business like, no question. You know, buttoned up, absolutely. Even though it was a hoodie with a sport coat. I mean, it yeah, was. But hoodie is sort of hoodie with a sport coat is like the new tech bro culture. I mean, like yep. that is business like. It's just you know Gen Z business like. Are you sure he knows about? Us. Are you sure he really knows about the diversity of the Seahawks weaponry? They had six first downs. They ran 47 <laughs> plays. All right. 47 plays, 150 yards and six first downs. How much could he have really learned <laughs> with just 47 plays and six first downs allowed against those Seahawks mm. way back when? Jeepers. Mm. Uh, All right, he keep did, going. Well, he talked a lot about physicality. He talked about physicality, not surprisingly, right? I mean, uh, you know, that was one of the, the main things he mentioned is that he wants his team to be physical. Yep. Has to be. Has to be. And I think, honestly, that's why John referenced that game on November 5th, because mm-hmm. it was a physical beatdown. It was just not a competitive environment. And in a league there where there is a lot of finesse, in a league where there's a lot of throwing, in a league where, you know, if you want to be a disruptor to that, well, be the Baltimore Ravens. Be bigger and stronger, more physical, and do it year after year after year after year, and recruit and develop and bring guys in that can play to that kind of brand. That's what he's done for 10 years. And again, I think why he was very attractive to John, even as a first-time young head coach. And remember, only the second coach in the history of this franchise. Right? I think there's nine of them. I think he's the ninth. And he's only the second that doesn't come in it with head coaching experience. Yeah, he talked a little bit about his offensive philosophy. Yeah, the percentage of when you run the ball and how much and all that, like that's that's all adjustable. To me, it, it's going to mirror our, our football team. We're going to be a physical football team. Um, we're going to have answers. We're going to try to be explosive and really do it and build it around the players that we have. We're going through the process right now. Who's going to be, you know, helping design that and ultimately call them plays. So um, to have a specific answer for you, what it's going to look like, I can't do that now, but that'll come into focus here uh, sooner than later. It's a little different at this level. I had a walk and talk yesterday with a, with a high school coach, Salk, and in high school, you get what you get. Like an Aaron Sorkin movie? Like, what do you mean a walk and talk? Well, we were just walking and talking and talking and talking ball and, and chopping it up like Mo okay. and like Mo likes to do, chopping it up chopping like Mo Dooley up. likes to chop it up. And <laughs> it's and, something and I, people it's not say. Not a coincidence that that happened hours after. Can here I, we go. Yeah. Here can I hear that, please? I think he called you out, Mo. You know what I'm saying? Chopping it up with you. Tracy and I picked <laughs> stuff and Mike up at the airport and had a great evening when, like Mo says, we chopped it up a little bit. 
<laughs> Chopped it up. He's, of course, talking about Mo Kelly. No, I, just, uh, maybe, maybe. I mean, maybe he is. Maybe. I don't know maybe whether he's he talking is. about Maureen Dooley. I mean, you Chopping don't know. <laughs> no, I was on walking and talking in high school. Guess what? You know, like you get what you get. This is what comes through in every class is, okay, so this class, man, we got a couple big kids. This class got a couple fast kids. This class, we got a kid that can throw it, right? Mike Heward for 20-something years at Puyallup. Here's, here's what we got. You get to college, you get to recruit them. Although now it's year by year in that transfer portal, and Jed Fish is going to inherit what he inherited, and he's going to add to it. But the NFL, you really do get to select players, mm-hmm. right? You don't recruit them. You select them in a draft to fit what you want. Now, he's inheriting a bunch. And with those, and, and again, why this job was attractive, yeah, I'll inherit uh, Witherspoon. He could play in any system. Right. Yeah, I'll inherit Uchenna Nuosu. I'll inherit a bunch of, you know, Ken Walker and, and, and Jackson and your young people and Charles Cross. Like, they could play in just about anything. But there will be a selection process that's yeah. going to fit the eye of him and fit the eye of John, and that will be a big physical football team. I know you got uh, Blue 88 here in a minute, so let me just kind of rush through. Uh, the authenticity was obvious. The last word I used was modern, and I know that sounds sort of similar to young and future, but I would use it a little bit differently here in his talking about growth mentality, which is something I think I first heard about from Pete Carroll. He mentioned that a couple of times, Brock. I know you think it's important when coaches repeat themselves, mm-hmm. but I really thought this was a great description from John Schneider on the way he got to being to, to being in this spot. At the end of the day, it comes down to people and relationships and trust. And and for this, it, it happened quickly with Mike. With Mike, I would say uh, that you know I, what I've what I've learned uh, from preparing for all this is that Mike is a is a learning networker, not a not a climbing networker. And there's a huge difference there. This has happened quickly for him. But when you sit down with him and you get to meet him. You understand why the whys of, wow, he knows that guy. He knows that guy. He knows this guy. Like I've been in the league for 30 some years and we know a ton of the same people. And, uh, so that really stood out. I love that description. Will you make that blue 88 number one? Cause I got a great, would you, would that. you like to, would you like to? Yeah, I really would love to do Let's that. Let's do that. Like right now. Hey! This is Brock and Sox blue 88. Chop it up, Mo. Blue 88! Come on. We take you to the field as Brock Ewer breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. Hey Brock, what's the difference between being a learning networker and a climbing networker? Well, Mike McDonald and Robert Sala. I think those in the NFL circle would say there's a whole bunch of climbing. Yesterday or a couple days ago, Salky, I talked to you about these self-proclaimed gurus. You know, that, hey, you know, this is the, the climbing networker. It's like, hey, I got this. I had a coordinator this year that had been at 11 different schools in 13 years. Okay. You know what he is? A climbing networker. And he tried to label his system, right? And, and I have got this system, and it's part of this, and it's part of that. It's had its own name to it. And I was like... I left that meeting like that dude is just all about his own brand salesman total sales and there's a reason that that guy's been 11 places in 13 years he's just kind of a climber and he's trying to like hey man this is my brand this is what i'm selling and then you got the learning networkers and on the opposite side i think the one that i've sat down with that the, that, that i would say encapsulates that the most is kaylin devore and we're at the spring meetings last year in arizona with with football coaches, basketball coaches, women's basketball coaches, ADs, all of that. And we're all sitting at a, at a table and there were about, you know, all, that, that whole group was sitting there. 
and Kalen DeBoer is just starting to talk and you know and, and then somebody mentions oh yeah I ran into him and so oh yeah I, I, I knew him from uh, oh yeah you know and it was just relational it wasn't even like a name dropping like oh look at me and look at all the people I know it was just yeah I got connected through that person at that job and oh what a great guy oh what a great gal oh just a terrific person I mean it's so striking to you you could sit within an hour and go climber climber learner climber learner climber learner you know, the guy we're going to talk to in 15 minutes is going to fit a little bit more. He's probably at times been labeled a climber because he's bounced. Jed has between the NFL and college. But I think you're going to come away from our 15 to 20 minutes with him and go, wow, that guy learned a little something. Every spot he'd been with Shanahan and with Pete Carroll and can easily go, yeah, yep, I've networked there and I've connected there and I've learned this through the game. And it's why I'm at where I'm at. And that what that is. You're right. That is a really cool way. Instead of just labeling someone a salesman and a guru. A learning networker versus a climbing networker. And probably probably not just a football conversation. Yeah, a really good life lesson in there Uh on on how to succeed and how to how to how to network. Using people to to you know, and we've been around them in the media salt. We've seen them. Yeah, man, that guy's just gonna use you and he's gonna burn that bridge because he's trying to climb up that mountain versus no man, I'll give you I'll give what you know I've learned. I'll give it away. You know, because I know that this will come back around. I know this will help me down the road, too. All right. Question number two. All right. The name Ryan Grubb came up, yes, came up yesterday as a, a D, as an offense coordinator, rather, for the Seahawks yep. under Mike McDonald. Do you like the idea? Yes. I would have voted with the 87% in my poll that said yes. And I think it's for two reasons, Those, this whole same conversation. But two things that he brings unique to this. This team needs an identity at the offensive line. It needs that mindset at the offensive line. And and that is this dude's background. And he's intense now. You went around as I got a chance to do and watch Husky practices and those that have been there. Like the, You're going to hear Ryan Grubb. He's going to get after those guys. And he turned... Faltanu into a first-round pick. And I think Roger Rosengarten, with the work he did at Mobile, is probably going to be drafted in the first 50 to 60 picks as well in a super deep offensive line draft. I mean, he's, de- he's developed guys there at that position and gets the most out of them, <laughs> which you have to do at the NFL. I love that. And then the second thing is he has answers and solutions. You know, we're going to line up in this. You're going to show me your cards, and then we're going to get to that. And I'm going to have an answer for you. And maybe not a surprise that he's on this interview list, because remember where Mike McDonald came from, came from Michigan for a year, still has connections there. And I'm sure he pinged Jim Harbaugh and was like, hey, Jim, what was it like getting ready for that system? Well, that's the hardest system we've had to deal with all year, man. You know, ask uh, Oregon, ask Tosh LaPoy what it was like to try to defend that group. And now the only thing is you look at the numbers, Salk, and it's been pretty heavy pass. Not necessarily like balance. I mean, that was the first thing that jumped out to me. Yes. But is that because you take your personnel and you put them in the best positions for success? And when I got Roma Dunze, Jalen McMillan, and Jalen Polk and Michael Penix and two NFL tackles, (laughs) what do I do with them? Do I try to run an injured Dylan Johnson the first six weeks of the season? They've not had that dude. They have Marshawn Lynch at running back at the UW. The last couple years, you know what they would do? (laughs) He'd run for 1,500 yards. Because you put your guys in a position for success. This is real. This is not just a rumor. He is a real candidate for this job. And oh, by the way, his wife loves Seattle. His wife really enjoys. Do you think she's going to really enjoy Alabama? Next. Question number three. Jump that, Mo.
Well, speaking of the guy that he uh, coached and led for the last couple of years, how about Michael Penix? How's he doing in Mobile? Yeah, reached out to two or three people down there that I trust who have watched every practice and been on the field and seen it all, and all three of them said he helped himself. Two of them said he was by far the best quarterback down there. So uh, now will he play in the game tomorrow? There is some question about that. So I don't know if the ribs are still a little sore or if he's like, yeah, man, I'll be down here. I'll showcase, but I'm not going to put myself at risk and take a shot. Yeah, don't blame him. Yeah, I don't really blame him either. So (laughs) I wouldn't do that. I think that there's some question of whether or not he'll play. But as far as the evaluations and the eye and yep. And one guy said, gosh, it's so weird, man. He doesn't have to set his feet and the ball just is is ripping out of his hand. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, we, we saw that. <laughs> Texas saw it. Oregon saw it. Everybody saw it over the course of this season. So he needed this week to go down there and Spencer Radler and Bo Nix and some other NFL kind of arms around him. He needed to showcase it. And by all accounts, yeah. three guys that I trust all said he definitely well, helped our, himself Our guy this Matt way. Miller was not necessarily in that camp. Here's what he – he gave a little update on Penix and Nix. Today, they were crisp. Today was, okay, these guys look like NFL quarterbacks today. Uh, both looked great. Penix – the arm strength is, is so obvious in person. The ball just flies out of his hand. He's such an impressive thrower. Nick's, you get more of the total package. You know, you get someone who's, you know, got good accuracy, really good mobility, smart player, uh, a really good leader. You can see that in practices. So it's, it's easy to understand why, you know, these players have such a, a good reputation and why NFL teams are so excited about them. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yep. That's today's Blue 88. Uh, we do it every morning at 7.45. Just got a cool little text here, by the way. Oh, yeah? Yep. I think this is uh, well said. Just heard you talking about a coach who's a climber and a learner. Former GM would say frequently, be careful how you talk to people on the way up. Mm. You may be talking to them <laughs> on the way down. Yeah. I mean, that's that's that business. It's a lot of different businesses, right? Like you... I think about that in, in this job and, you know, to working with now that I'm kind of an old guy and what, 17 Super years old. of calling games. Yeah, very and, old. Yeah, I'm getting very, very, very old, old, way past middle age. I mean, like, like my you. wife is now older than me. That's exactly right. Very old. And, mm-hmm, very, very old. Very old, yes. But, you know, I think about these interns, Salk, and so many of them through the, I love hearing from them. You know, I, there's guys that have gone on to school that are one of our former interns is working in single A baseball and, and just, you know, staying in touch with them. And just and I know like at Fox, if I'm there, I don't know how long I'm going to be there, but I know that there was a, a B.A. It's called Broadcast Associate. It's the entry level job into the truck. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, well, this dude's good right here now. <laughs> this guy's going to be and sure enough, like he's working his way up. He's going to be a producer. Who knows? In 15 years, he might be running Fox. And, you know, how you treat those people and how you build that connective tissue and relationships matter. It really does matter in any profession, in any job, and especially in one as volatile as the NFL. Well, speaking of those relationships you've built, one of them is going to join us next. Just took a quick text, and Jed Fish is going to join us in just five minutes. Stick around. We'll talk to the new Husky head coach, get a sense as to what his plan is like. We'll do it next. I'm Brock and Sulk.